Welcome to episode 68 of the Luke Winstall Show. Today I'm joined by Randall Hill, former University of Miami Hurricanes and NFL wide receiver. Randall won national championships with the University of Miami in 1987 and 1989. He's one of the best receivers in the school's history and was a first-round NFL draft pick. He played seven years in the league, then retired to go into law enforcement, and has recently run for Congress in Florida. On the show today, we talked about his journey to the NFL, favorite memories, and life after football. Now we'll dive into the interview. Randall, thank you for joining me on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Just trying to stay dry. It's, it's raining down here in South Florida, but that's the time of the year uh, that we have. I try to get things done early and uh, just know that you're going to get wet uh, in the afternoon. But uh, all is well. Definitely. Glad to hear all is well. I want to start by talking about your football career, taking it back to high school. So what was that experience like for you starting to become a bigger recruit, get recruited by Miami? What was that process like for you developing into a college-level type player? Well, it, it, a lot of people don't understand uh, or even know that uh, you know, one of the keys of life is learn how to cope with change. And like you said, you know, going from, from high school to, to college, uh, you know, that is a change. Um, but I had an additional change in my in my uh, my early early on in my uh, my athletic career because I was recruited as a defensive back. I was an All American defensive back. My junior year, I had eleven interceptions in one year. So you know, going through that process, uh, my parents made sure that you know I kept my 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 head, kept my wits. Um, because it was all about being a student athlete, not an athlete's uh, student. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the son of a uh, retired high school principal. My mom's a retired teacher. And so, you know, I always stayed focused when it came to um, sports, uh, you know, you know, being in, in the community and also uh, schoolwork. So w- when I was recruited, you know, I would come home every day. They have different rules now. And I would have five or six different um major schools uh, sitting uh, in front of my front door waiting to talk to me. And I would literally walk right past them and say, okay, go talk to my parents. And then once you finish talking to them, if it's okay, then they will let you know if you can talk to me. Um, And I think a lot of the younger uh, uh, student athletes and tomorrow's leaders need to understand that should be the focus. Uh, So going to the uh, the, the University of Miami – uh, literally one day, Jimmy Johnson came up to me and said, "You know what? Go play wide receiver." Now, a lot of the a lot of the young adults today who are want to be athletes, they would probably be upset about that. Uh, oh well, I play defensive back, and and I, I'm an All American. I'm a Adidas All American. Well, you're a student athlete, and you sign a contract to to play as an athlete, not as a specific position. So you need to do what your coach asked you to do. So that's what exactly what I did. And I guess from there, I was able to run through tunnels. <laughs> Definitely. So why do you think Coach Johnson decided that wide receiver was a spot for you? Because it seems like that worked out well, and he was pretty right there. Well, when you look at uh, Coach Johnson, uh, he he did that back in the day. The University of Miami did that back in the day. Uh, like I tell a lot of people now, it's not – recruiting five-star or 10-star or eight-star athletes. It's rec- recruiting individuals who, who believe in, who don't believe in failure, who believe in winning and winning uh, with, with style points. And Jimmy John, like, for example, 
he wasn't a running back when he was in high school. He played on the opposite side of the ball. He played defense. He was defense alignment. So again, Jimmy Johnson knew uh, how to to get talent, how to recruit talent, but he also knew knew how to recruit an attitude, an attitude that uh, that maintained the desire to be the best. I'm curious if you were in a position to where you were recruiting guys today. Would you throw out the stars and ratings and the 24-7 sports and rivals rankings and just go off of eye test, or how would you do it? Yeah, you have to go off. You have to. I wouldn't go off of uh, uh, stars and 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 and, and the, these recruiting magazines because you know that's that's one person's opinion. And yeah, times have changed. I get that, but still, if I'm a recruiter and if I'm a uh, a position coach or even a head coach, you know, I want to surround myself with individuals who believe in winning, and not. All the time, when, when, I mean, necessarily when, you, when you're when you're looking at players, and I can go down the list. Russell Maryland, who was the first pick of the, of the draft, he wasn't. I don't even think he was rated at, at, on the on the star system. Look at Cortez Kennedy, who's in the NFL Hall of Fame. He uh, he he had to go to a junior college first. So no, you, what you should do is you, you go out, you, you you use your eye test, you you use your ability to to locate talent, and then the interview process should seal things up with uh, who you should recruit or who should be on your team. Because um, when you're talking to a player or a prospective player, when you're talking to uh, um, that, that player's coach and that, and that player's family, you should have a, a good understanding as to if that person fits into, into your scheme or not. Well, now that we're talking about recruiting, I know that with you being a big-time recruit, there had to be some kind of hype, but... How does it differ from a guy that may be in a similar spot or a similar ranking and All-American guy today? Well, um, because of the the, the, the event of uh, you know social media and and, and how uh, you know the computer and we didn't have that back then. We didn't even have cell phones back then. So you know it, it's a little bit different today. So I think they get a lot more exposure today, but it still does not. Uh, to me, I I don't think that that should intervene in what a coach's job or a recruiter's job is. Coach Johnson had a, a great plan, and he stuck to that plan. Yes, there was a recruiting coordinator, but what he also did was he sent his position coaches out to watch uh, prospective student athletes uh, practice, to to watch the their games, and also to make sure that that student athlete was busy year round because idle time is is a devil's workshop. So if you weren't um, uh, playing football, you know, Coach Johnson uh, in, in high school, he, he expected he expected you to either be running track, or wrestling, or playing basketball or baseball, keeping yourself busy and, and staying away from trouble and, and staying focused on uh, fine tuning your body, fine tuning your your fine muscle uh, twitch uh, fibers, and also uh, your eye and hand coordination. Well, everyone knows you as Randall the Thrill Hill. Where did that nickname come from? When did they start calling you the Thrill? Um, in the eleventh grade, uh, I had eleven interceptions in one year, and there was a newspaper um, on the south end of the county um, that was uh, named the South Bay News Leader, and they're the ones who uh, they, they they coined that phrase. Uh, they they're the ones who first saw my skills, on, you know, uh, in the media, and they did a, a cover story. Um, on a sports page about Randall Thrill Hill. Nice. Now, for you at your Miami career, when you look back, what would you say is your favorite or fondest memory? 
Um, well, there, there's a lot of fond memories um, that I had, but you know, it was more or less the, the camaraderie with, with, with my teammates, uh, going out, having fun, uh, you know, traveling, uh, being able to go into any uh, hostile environment and knowing that we were going to come away with the win. There was never a time that that uh, I was in a, in a game or we were in a game that we didn't think we were going to win or uh, or be successful. So, you know, going into hostile environments, whether it be Arkansas, Florida State. Um, anywhere and knowing that we were going to come away with the victory. Definitely. Everyone knows about the talent that was at Miami during the years that you were there, especially what was your first impression walking into that locker room as a player for the first time? Well, it, it was, it was, like I said, it, the attitudes were different. Yeah. You know that there were talented players there. Cause you know, I came in with Michael Irvin, um, Brian blaze, uh, Benny blaze, uh, um, yeah, there were a lot of ta- there was a lot of talent there. There was a lot of talent that, that that left. But interesting enough, on my very first year at the University of Miami, you know, walking into the locker room, uh, the University of Miami had just come off of a very bad loss, uh, and that was the Fiesta Bowl, where they were supposed to win a, a national championship. Um, but you know, looking in that locker room, um, you you had great players still there. You had Michael Irvin, you had Brett Perriman, you had Brian Blades, um, you had. Uh, a host of you had Russell Maryland. You had a host of, of players um, that felt that they left something on the table and they wanted to go get it by winning winning a national championship in 1987. And you know there was no, nothing that was going to stop us. But along with those players, we had ten freshmen who did not redshirt, who literally played, and we took over the special teams, and we had a lot of fun with it. Um, I ranked in the top uh, 15, I want to say, in kickoff returns as a true freshman. Um, and we still won a national championship uh, with having um, uh, 10 true freshmen on the team, who, of course, who, who did not redshirt. So when teams complain about, oh, we got all these young guys, you know what, I really don't want to hear it because bottom line is win games. Definitely. Now, you mentioned that you played with Michael Irvin when you came in. That 1987 year was a big year for him. What was your relationship like with him, and what did you learn from him? Well, you, you, you learned the, the desire uh, to be the best, um, and but to put it on the line even in practice. Um, you know, we practice hard, uh, and I know that there's been several times where they – shortened practice up when I was, uh, you know, at the University of Miami over my four years because they thought somebody was going to get hurt. Um, Because, you know, we practiced hard. We had a lot of fun. The games were were, were easy to us because uh, we were students of the game. We learned everything in practice. We learned everything in the film room. Um, And, you know, it was was nonstop. So you learn those from from the guys who had been there, who, who paved the way for for guys later later to come uh, of how to be a true University of Miami football player. As you started to blossom and have your career at Miami, you started to have these celebrations and show your personality on the field. What was your favorite celebration or on-field antic from your time at Miami? There's two plays in University of Miami history that are considered to be some of the greatest plays, and I was at the receiving end of both of them. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the plays uh, is considered to be one of the, the greatest uh, third-down conversions of all time, and that was uh, against uh, Notre Dame on national TV, third and 43, and I get 44 yards. Um, absolutely, you know, when you look at plays, they, that nail was in the coffin. 
um, at that particular point, and I, I helped drive that nail in. Now, a lot of people would say the Cotton Bowl um, because of the whole tunnel thing, and it changed a lot of the rules in college football in reference to uh, celebration, and they call them the Randall Hill and or the Miami rules. Um, but if you look at that game, um, nothing was really on the line. We had already blown them out. Um, but when you talk about us playing against Notre Dame, um, there was a national uh, championship that was still on the line. So I would definitely have to say third and 43. For sure. Now, can you take me through your perspective on that 1991 Cotton Bowl celebration? Because it's one of the more unique ones that we've seen. Um, if you look at, if you go back and look at the film, um, I, I hadn't had a ball thrown to me all game. And we, <laughs> we had a lot of fun in the huddle before plays. And, and that was at the expense of the quarterback because we, you had a lot of guys who wanted the ball thrown to them. You had the running backs who want run the ball. So, and the, and the quarterback was getting the, the, uh, the plays from, from the sideline. So we had many riots in the huddle about who won the ball, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. I'm going to kick your butt, you know, this type of thing. Um, and if you look at that particular uh, game, I had had a ball thrown to me all game. So I threatened the quarterback, Craig Erickson. Um, he's still, uh, we're still friends though. Um, <laughs> and I told him that, uh, if he didn't throw me the ball, that there was going to be some blunt force trauma that was going to be coming his way. So, uh, you know, he, uh, he knew I was one-on-one, so he was able to get the ball to me, uh, up and down and, uh, uh and I beat the defender, uh, and the rest is history running through the tunnel causing uh, all the rule changes. Um, we had fun. It was notorious, but it was also infamous. Definitely. Now, why did you have that on-field persona? What made you want to be like that and celebrate and act the way you did? No, it wasn't something that I wanted to be or, or act, you know, but, you know, I, I'm a very emotional person, but I also graduated in four years. Um, I, I had a lot of celebrating, um, but I'm also married to a, a doctor. So with that being said, you know, it was just I let my feelings flow. There's nothing that was pre-planned in anything that I do um, or, or did um, because emotions I don't think should be capped. Uh, we're not uh, uh, Mr. Spock from the, from the Starship Enterprise. Uh, we, uh, we're human beings and we have emotions, and you never know when it's going to be your last play. You never know when... Uh, you may get injured and you won't be able to walk again. You never know when you catch a ball and you roll your ankle and you may not ever play in a game again. So why not treat every play like it's your last? Definitely. I'm a big fan of celebrations, and I think a lot of people who watch college football in the NFL are. So now with the NFL rules allowing celebrations between players or teammates, what would you do? Would you now plan anything or try to do anything? No, I'm not planning. I don't plan celebrations. I just let, like I said, I, I just let it flow. Um, if something comes out, it comes out. If not, I'm not planning anything because that's not what Randall Hill is all about. That's not how I play the game. You know, hats off to the guys, that, you know, how they play the game now, but it's not, that's not how I play the game or play the game. I'm wondering at the University of Miami, when you played, there was all of that swagger on one sideline. So how would you describe the environment during a big game on the Miami side? Well, it was, it was all it was it was business. It was very business as as usual. There was not a lot of raw raw. We didn't have a turnover chain and all this other stuff, um, which is which is fine if that's what they want to do now. But it was about business. It was about going out and winning games and 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 knowing uh, the game plan and and to win games, but win them with style points. Um, but it wasn't uh, something like okay, well we're gonna plan this. It's, that's just not the way it is. That's <laughs> not that's not how, how how we approach uh, the game. Do you like the turnover chain? Um, 
it's I can I can take it or leave it. It's not a big deal to me. Um, you know, I, I I think that, but you know, and I I like that Manny is trying to you know give the guys something to you know strive for. But I also like what what Bush Davis said. Um, someone asked Bush Davis, what do what would you give your uh, student athletes or your players if they had a big play or a big hit or a big turnover? He and his response is, um, I let them keep their scholarships. And that's, that's right out of old school University of Miami uh, playbook. Yeah, you know, you, we're here to have fun, but you know what? You, you're, you're here on scholarship. You have a job to do. We have a job to do. And if you, because you got to understand, a scholarship, and you look at the contract, it's one year renewable. So your job is to make sure that that, that contract is renewed. And it's not by necessarily a turnover chain or, you know, a backpack or whatever. It's to win games and win national championships. Well, you put together a fantastic career at Miami. That's no secret. What was your draft day like being a first-round pick? Um, it was it was uh, a big uh, it was a big day for me, and uh, it was a you know it was a culmination of, of, of a lot of hard work, you know, coming to uh, to an end and then something else beginning. Um, but it was it was good to see my parents happy. Um, I'm not one of those. Uh, st- I wasn't one of those student athletes who who was underprivileged, you know, I always had everything that I needed. I, I grew up in a nice house and with, with a pool and everything. So my parents gave me everything that I needed to succeed. So um, if I failed, it was going to be my fault. So I was happy to see my parents uh, be able to say, you know, job well done. Well, in the NFL, you were traded after one game. What's the story behind that? Um, people say that it was because I held out, which, which is not the case. Yes, did I hold out? But, you know, I played in four preseason games because the Miami Dolphins back then played in uh, five preseason games because that's when they actually had the game over in Japan. So, but what happened was uh, Mark Clayton, who was one of uh, was a legendary receiver, uh, it was suspected that he was not going to play that year because of a, of an injury that he had. But in that very first game against Buffalo, he had over 200 yards in receiving. So they didn't really need Randall Hill. So it's part of the NFL. It's part of work. It's part of the business. So, therefore, I was traded for a million dollars and a first-round draft pick. Not a big deal, so you just go on about your business. Definitely. Now, I know for some guys, being traded after one game, they may not have been as happy about it. I don't know, but you eventually came back to Miami. So what went into that decision for you? Um, yeah, just, just what the, it wasn't that because it was Miami. It was just, you know, the team that offered me the best contract. It's called business. Uh, yeah, it's, it's NFL and, and, it's, and it's sports, but to players, it's a business. Who's going to offer me the most amount of money? Plus, the uh, state of Florida doesn't have any uh, state income tax, so it was the right fit for me. What would you say was your favorite story from your time playing in the NFL? Um, being able to, uh, uh, when I played for the, the Saints, um, and Mike Dicker was the uh, the head coach, uh, catch a, uh, a touchdown pass to help him beat uh, the Bears, his former team, um, that, was, that was nice. Um, you know, I had a, uh, I had fun in the NFL, but I again I kept my, my my feet underneath me, and you gotta understand that uh, NFL is not not life. Life is not sports. Um, it gives you a jump start on life um, to help you get on about your business, um, and that's the way I, I approached it. Well, eventually you came into life after football. You chose to get into law enforcement. What was that path like for you transitioning from football on to there? Uh, it's very easy because um, a lot of people, 
don't understand that, you know, law enforcement is very similar to sports. You, you're working in team settings. Um, you're working um, towards team goals. Uh, you're working with one another uh, to a, achieve uh, team uh, expectations. Now, one may be winning championships. Um, the other may be, uh, pr- you know, protecting the community and or the country. Um, but it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's you still got to be hyper. Uh, you still got to be, you know, in front of the public um, and know how to conduct yourself. Uh, or you should know how to conduct yourself as, as a as a gentleman and be able to talk to people um, in, in different environments. So then you go from playing football to law enforcement, working your way up there. You decide to run to be in the U.S. Congress. So how did you get into politics, and what went in, what went into that decision for you? Well, as as a as a federal agent, um, you know, I've always wanted to do more for the community, um, and I felt that. Um, going into politics I, I could do more for the community um it didn't work out for me um but you know i still believe in in trying to achieve all your goals because i don't my last day on this earth i want to be able to say that i attempted to achieve all the goals that that i set for uh, set in front of me um whether it be to help the community uh to help my family um or uh or, or be a role model so and it, it, it was fun uh, it was very interesting i, I learned a lot um, but since I didn't win, I, I, I came back into federal law enforcement. Would you ever think about running again? Um, I don't know. I, I Right now, I'm focused on my job. Um, I'm focused on my on my career. I got five more years into retirement, <laughs> and I'm focused on my family. I got, a, I got a child going off to college, so that's my focus right now. Well, now back to football. What does Miami need to do as a program to get back to the level or close to the level that they were at when you were there? Well, I, I think you you definitely need to have the right players with the right fit. Uh, you need to get away from the star system. You need to look at more attitude, personality, along with talent. And then on top of that, I, I also think that, you know, offensively, um, if you look at when we were successful, most of our plays uh, or a lot of our plays, you know, we changed at the line of scrimmage because we were students of the game. We were able to understand and recognize uh, defenses, uh, defensive stands, defensive uh, alignments, and make certain key changes um, to help put us over the top. Um, and we were taught that by our coaches. Hey, listen, our coaches taught us, hey, listen, here is the game plan. We'll, we will call plays, but if you have to change a play because you guys see something different, then we don't care, just get it done. And that's I, I, and I think that a lot has been lost uh, offensively, uh, especially in college where you, I mean, you see it all the time where they're changing plays at the line of scrimmage and, and they have to look up and get a play from the sideline. Okay, well, then that means you're not trusting the players on the field that you recruited that you have taught during the week uh, to, to get the job done. My final question for you. With a lot of your life, you've been in the spotlight of the media. You've had people covering your career, whether it be from football to politics or anywhere in between. But what do you think is something that people don't know about you that they should? Um, that um, even though that I, you know, flamboyant on the field, uh, I graduated in four years. I, I've never been arrested. I stayed out of trouble. Um, I, uh, I'm a federal agent. Uh, my wife's a doctor. Um, she's Phi Beta Kappa Chemistry. She finished a math minor when she was in middle school. Um, that I keep smart people around me. Uh, my mom has always told me that. Keep smart people around you. Um, because 
um, when you're around good people like that, um, usually it rubs off on you, off on you. So you, if you want to be flamboyant on the field, that's fine. But make sure you get something in your head. Uh, make sure you conduct yourself as a young lady, as a as a as a gentleman. Um, if most people see me when I'm out in public, especially if I'm getting ready to do something that is um, that is media related. I'm usually coat and tie. I don't let my my pants hang off my butt. Um, and I I believe in um, listening to uh, my parents. Well, Randall, that's all the questions I had for you. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you coming on the show. Not a problem. Thank you. Thank you again to Randall for joining me on the podcast. Next up on the show, I talked with Kowasi Reeves, class of 2021 Florida basketball commit. He's a four-star shooting guard out of Macon, Georgia, and one of the top 50 players in the country. That concludes this episode of the podcast. I'm Luke Winstall. Thank you all for tuning in.